Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today's episode is all about bonds. We're going to be talking about what they are, some of their risks, and why you should potentially put them in your portfolio. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. All righty, everyone. So let's get right into it. What is a bond? Well, bonds are typically something that in personal finance we try to stay away from. It's a dirty word. Bonds are debt. Bonds are for whenever companies or governments need money to do something, whether it's a certain project or maybe it's just for fun. Maybe they just want to have a drinking party. Regardless, they want some money. They don't want to sell more shares of stock because they don't need money that bad. So what they're going to do is they're just going to borrow it. And how they borrow it is a lot different from how regular loans work. Typically with bonds, they only pay on their loans twice a year. Now, different bonds are, of course, different. depends on how they write them up. But in general, bonds pay out twice a year. And here's the other difference is that throughout the term of the bond, that they're only paying interest. They are not paying back principal. How bonds work are they pay all the principal back at the end. So one of the easiest things to explain is why it's called bonds, and you don't typically hear bond singular a lot. And that's because bonds are a lot like chips. There's not a lot of times where you just get one. Much like how if you want to own 10% of, say, Walmart, you need to own a couple million shares because they release it as a bunch of different shares. And they do that so that they're small enough so that people can go in and get however much they want. Shares of stock have a stock price or like a price per share. Well, bonds have something similar, but it's called a par value. So whenever a company or government releases bonds, say they're trying to raise $5 billion. Well, it's not going to be one bond for $5 billion. What they're going to do is it's going to be 500,000 bonds, and each one has a par value of $1,000. So you could go in and buy two bonds from there, give them $2,000, and then you have two, one for $1,000 each, because each one is $1,000 because that's the par value. Now, I really wanted to emphasize that because we're going to be using the term par value a lot. Now, as usual, I believe that the best way to teach something is through an example. Now, typically on this show, I like to use blown up examples where you blow up the dollar amounts and then the small changes become much more obvious. And I do that to prove a point. But luckily with bonds, it's all very bite sized anyway, and is really easy to really get your head around how they work because really bonds are simple. So let's go ahead and let's jump into an example. Let's talk about, you know what, let's pick a different company this time. Instead of Walmart, let's talk about Starbucks. Now, I mention them because I'm not necessarily recommending them. I just like using big names because it's really easy to understand how these businesses work. But anyway, let's take Starbucks. Let's say Starbucks wants to open 50 stores in Thailand. They want to open 50 coffee shops in Thailand, and they don't have the cash for it. They don't want to sell additional stock to pay for it. So what they're going to do instead is they're going to take on debt. And instead of going to a bank, they're going to go directly to investors and they're going to release bonds. Now, that process is called a bond offering, which is exactly what it sounds like. They create these bonds, they have a bank underwrite it, and then they offer the bonds to investors. So let's jump into some lingo and then we can explain it. So Starbucks wants to build these stores and let's say they want to raise 
$500 million from investors to be able to make this happen. So what they do is they're going to generate 500,000 bonds, and each individual bond is going to have a par value of $1,000. So what we have there is we have 500,000 bonds at $1,000 each, which if you multiply that out, gives you the $500 million that they want. So if you wanted to be involved in this, all you would have to do is spend $1,000 for a single bond for $1,000, and that's it. So I had mentioned before that bonds are debt and that it's strange because they don't pay off principal until the end. So how does this work now that you're a bondholder? If you went and you bought one bond for $1,000 for Starbucks so that they can go and open these stores, let's say that the coupon rate, that's another vocabulary word, the coupon rate, which is really just an interest rate that you get paid, the coupon rate is 5%. So what that means is they're going to pay out that interest twice a year. So the amount of debt you have given them is $1,000. So $1,000 times 5% means you get coupon payments of $50 per year. Now, different bonds can do it differently, but in general, bonds will pay out twice a year or every six months. So what that means is if you give them $1,000 to purchase a single bond, every six months, you get a $25 check. So you get a $25 check in, let's say, June and another one in December. So it's $50 total per year on your $1,000 loan, which is a 5% return. So the coupon rate is how much you are earning off that bond, and they just pay that out to you. Now, here's where bonds get fun from an investor perspective. So with a normal bank loan, you are making payments of principal plus interest. Now, principal is just paying down the balance on your loan. So if you have a $1,000 a month mortgage payment, chances are, let's say $250 actually pays down your loan, while the $750 remaining is just interest. And when you're doing it like that, because the principal is constantly going down, the amount of interest that you are paying the bank goes down every time you make a payment. Now, with bonds, that would work the same way if they were paying principal, which they don't. So because they are not giving you back any portion of your $1,000, they are just giving you the interest. You are just getting that $50 a year or $25 every six months. Because they do not give you principal, those payments stay the same. So if it's a five-year bond, you're going to be making $50 a year for all five years because they never gave you your $1,000 back. And that brings us to the next point. So how bonds work is you give them $1,000 or whatever the par value is to get however many amount of bonds you want. But for this example, we're just going to say one. So let's say it's a five-year bond. Because it's a five-year bond, that means they're going to pay you back at the end of five years. So you get your $1,000 bond from Starbucks. You give them $1,000. Then for the next five years, you're going to get a $25 check every six months. Then, when you get to the end of the five years, when you get that last $25 check, it's not going to be for $25. It's going to be for $1,025 because you're going to get that last interest payment and all your money back. So you gave them that $1,000 at the beginning. Then for five years, they paid you interest every six months. Then at the end of the five years, they gave you back your $1,000. And it's just that simple. That's how bonds work. You give them however much money the par value is for however many bonds you want. They are going to pay you interest for the entire term or life of the bond. And then at the end of the term or life of the bond, they give you everything back. That's how bonds work. But I do want to go in and I want to talk a little bit more about interest or rather the theory of interest. 
So interest is a fun word that we like to use in finance that basically means the cost of money. The general theory is this. If you have $1,000 in your bank account, then at any time, whenever you want, you could go and spend that $1,000. Maybe you want to take a vacation. Maybe you want to go out and buy something, whatever. You have that $1,000 and the freedom to be able to go out and spend that money whenever you want. So let's say instead that you have that $1,000 and I come up to you and I say, hey, I really need $1,000 because, you know, I don't have any savings and I really need $1,000 to, let's just say, buy something. So you say, sure, I'll loan you this $1,000, but I'm going to need that back. This is not a gift. Like, you got to give that back to me. So for the entire time that I have your $1,000, you have been stripped of your freedom to go and make that purchase. So if you want to take that vacation, you can't because I have your money. If you want to go out and buy something, you can't because I have your money. Because of that, the theory is that since you are going without, you are going without being able to purchase or use your own money, you are being inconvenienced or you are sacrificing. And because you're doing that, you should be rewarded for that. So that's where we get the term interest from. So interest is how much your money is worth when you're not using it. If you decide that you have this $1,000, I come up and say, hey, I really need to borrow this $1,000. You say, okay, but hey, because I'm going without, I'm going I'm to need some money, which is basically like rent. If you're using my money, you're going to need to pay me every month you're using my money because I now don't have it. So you're going to pay me 2% or 5%, whatever. You are going to pay me 5% of however much I loan you. So that's going to be $50 a year. So those interest payments are you being rewarded for going without your money or not being able to spend your money. Now, as the theory goes, that assumes you're 100% getting your money back. And that's why we have what's known as a risk-free interest rate. Even if there's zero chance of you losing your money, if there is zero chance of you not getting a dime back, you should still get an interest rate. You should still get a return because you are still going without your own money. Now, once you start adding in that this is investments and not so much loaning money to your neighbor, because there's a risk or a chance of you not getting some of your money back, you can now have a higher interest rate because you are not only going without your money, but now you're having the chance of not getting some of your money back. And that's where we get into risk-adjusted return. So the higher the risk you're taking, the more of an interest rate you can charge because not only are you going without, but now there's a chance you're not even going to get it back. So let's take this theory and let's apply it a little bit. Every interest rate has two parts. There's the risk-free interest rate, which is just what you should get paid for just going without your money. And then the other part is your risk. And the more risk you take, the more return you should get. So that means there's a higher interest rate. So if your money is in a savings account, there is zero chance you are going to lose any money. Even though your bank is out there investing that money in loans, if you give the bank $1,000 and that bank goes bankrupt, you are either going to get paid back from them, you're either going to get paid back from that bank getting acquired by another bank and you just get your $1,000 back, or in a worst case scenario, the FDIC shows up and writes you a check. So with a bank account, there is zero chance you're going to lose any money. So if we take a bank account savings rate as our risk-free return, obviously this is going to depend on when you're listening to it. But let's say the best savings account interest rate you can find right now is 1%. So 
So that 1% is your risk-free rate because you are 100% getting that back. And what that also means is that's the floor or the least you should possibly get as an interest rate. So let's go into our Starbucks bond. Starbucks, in our example, was paying 5% on their bonds. So what that means is 1% was just you going without your money, the risk-free rate, which means there's an additional 4% of risk involved. Or because of the amount of risk, you are eligible to get an extra 4% for a total of 5 So now that we've introduced risk in the world of bonds, because it is debt, there's a chance they don't pay you back. And because of that, you get that risk-adjusted return. So now let's talk about what kinds of risks are you potentially getting into if you're investing in bonds. So there are going to be specific risks with various bonds. This is all going to depend on the type of bonds you buy and who is issuing the bonds, whether it's a company, which company is it, is it a government, which government. A lot of this is going to be highly specific to which bonds you are purchasing. But in general, there are five different types of risk when it comes to bonds. And we're going to talk about each one, but I'm just going to list them first. So you have credit risk, interest rate risk, inflation risk, reinvestment risk, and liquidity risk. So let's go ahead and talk about the first one, because I think the first one is going to be the easiest. The first one is credit risk. And what that is, is the chance or the probability that whoever you are loaning your money to, because that's all bonds are, they're debt, whoever you are loaning your money to, when it comes time for them to pay you back, are not going to have the money in hand to be able to pay you back. Now, in general, this means bankruptcy. If a company goes bankrupt, you know, they took on too much debt, they took a big hit to their earnings, so they're not able to pay it back. Credit risk is simply that a company will not have the financial resources to be able to pay you back when the time comes. Now, there is a little bit of relief when it comes to credit risk. And what that is, is that since it's debt in a bankruptcy, so what bankruptcy is, is the entity that cannot afford to pay their creditors, basically they could either reorganize or get liquidated. So let's say they go into liquidation. In liquidation, there's a very specific order in who gets paid first from what the company has. So the people that need to get paid back are people who loaned them money, and then maybe you have some preferred shareholders who are partially some debt holders, but also kind of equity holders. They're a weird one that we're going to talk about in a future episode. So you have them, and then you have the stockholders. And the stockholders, depending on how much of the company they own, have a claim to the assets. But the equity investors are last in line. So if you own shares in Starbucks and Starbucks goes bankrupt. Well, from the money that Starbucks has, first place that money goes is to the debt holders, or the people who loaned them money. The second place are the preferred shareholders, and then the third are the common shareholders. So if you have bonds and you own stock in Starbucks and they go under, your bonds are going to be paid back first. And then if there's anything left at the end of the debt holders and the preferred shareholders, then you will start to get paid back some of your equity holdings or your stocks. So a benefit when it comes to being a bondholder is that should a company go bankrupt, typically the debt holders are first in line. And depending on which company it is, sometimes the banks are first, sometimes the bondholders are first in line. But in general, you're either the first or the second one in line. So your position is a little bit secure. So it's a little bit safer if you're going to be investing in a risky company that you're a bondholder as opposed to an equity holder. 
So the next thing we're going to talk about, let's talk about interest rate risk. Just about all bonds are fixed interest rate. So if they tell you, hey, if you buy this bond for $1,000, you're going to get 5%. You are going to get 5%, nothing more, nothing less, unless they go bankrupt. But you are going to get that 5% for all five years of you holding that bond. Now, the risk here is what happens if the interest rates go up in the market? So let's say right now, Starbucks is releasing bonds at 5%. And you buy in, you buy a bunch of these 5% five-year bonds, and then three years later, they start releasing a bunch of bonds at 8%. Well, you're locked in holding these 5% bonds where everyone else, or rather all the new people, are getting 8%. So the interest rate risk is the risk that you are going to make less money than you could be making in the future because interest rates change. Something to keep in mind is that goes both ways. If you buy a whole bunch of these 5% bonds and then rates drop down to 2%, which we've been seeing a lot lately because right now interest rates are dropping. So if you're holding on to a 5% bond or a bunch of 5% bonds and all of a sudden their bonds are now paying 2%, well, now you've got a hot commodity. You've got all these bonds for 5% when everyone else is getting 2 So if you wanted to, you could hold on to that and keep getting your 5%, or you could turn around and sell those bonds to these people who don't want to make 2%. And what they'll do there is they will pay you more than the face value of the bond. And what that's called is selling a bond at a premium. So the bond has a face value or a par value of $1,000. Well, because your bond is paying 5% and everyone else's bonds are paying 2%, you can charge, let's say, $1,300 for your bond. And people will pay that because they get a higher interest rate. Or maybe they want to lock in that 5% instead of buying something now for 2%. And of course, that works the same way if interest rates go up. If you have a 5% bond and then rates all of a sudden go up to 7%, well, now your bond is worth less. So if you buy the bond at 5%, you're getting those 5% payments. And then three years down the line, you need to sell those bonds, but those new bonds are now paying 7%. Well, you can't sell yours for $1,000 because for that same $1,000, they could buy a new bond for 7%. So why would they buy yours for 5 well, the answer to that is, is you have to sell it below face value. So they can make up for that difference in interest rate because they can pay less for it. So the face value might be $1,000, but you're going to sell it to them for, let's say, $750. So what they're going to do is they're going to give you $750. Then they get the 5% when they could have been making 7 And then how they make up for it is at the end, they get 1000 So they gave you 750 then got 1000 at the end. So that extra $250 in earnings would offset the difference in the interest rates. And I think that's about all we're going to do for interest rate risk. So the third major risk is inflation risk. So what inflation rate risk is, is if you give them $1,000, they will give you $1,000 back at the end. Well, what happens if we have a huge amount of inflation and that $1,000 isn't worth what it was? So I'm planning on having a future episode that's just on inflation, but all you need to know for now is inflation makes things cost more. So if $1,000 today could buy you six trips to the supermarket to buy groceries, well, what if you buy a five-year bond, you give them $1,000, and then at the end of five years when you get your $1,000 back, now your $1,000 could only buy three trips to the grocery store. Now you're still buying the same stuff, but all the prices have gone up. That's the other risk. If the money you get back 
is worth less than the amount you gave them, which the dollar amounts are still the same, but the stuff you could buy with that money has now gone less. You can buy less stuff with the money. That's inflation risk. The next risk we're going to talk about, now I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the next one is reinvestment risk. Now what that means is if you are investing your money for let's say 5%, you're buying your Starbucks bonds, reinvestment risk is that the $50 that you get every year cannot be reinvested for the same amount. Or if at the end of the term, so you buy a five-year bond for 5%, if at the end of those five years, you get all this money back and it's like, okay, now I got to reinvest it. Well, you've been making 5% for five years on this money. Now they've given you all of your money back and it's like, okay, now let's go find a different bond to invest in. Reinvestment risk is that the term you picked, once you get that money back, now all the bonds are only paying 2%. So it's the risk that you're not going to be able to reinvest that money at the same rate of return that you've been earning. Now, another additional risk when it comes to reinvestment risk is if your bond is what's known as callable. So what callable means is basically they can pay you off early. So let's say you have one of our standard bonds. It's Starbucks, 5% for five years. Well, let's say interest rates drop. So you're holding on to this 5% bond and all the interest rates drop, which for you is excellent because now you have a bond paying 5%, but all the other bonds in the market are paying 2%, or at least all the new bonds are paying 2%. So now the value of your bonds has gone up because you are earning more than everyone else. Well, Starbucks doesn't want to keep paying these 5% bonds when they can pay 2% for new bonds. So a callable bond means that they can pay you off early. So what they can do is Starbucks can release another round of bonds and use the money that they raise to buy back your bonds, and you don't get a choice. If there's an option in the bond that makes it callable, you're sitting there having fun going, oh yeah, I'm making 5% while everyone else is making 2%. Then you get an email or a letter in the mail from Starbucks saying, hey, your bond's been called, here's your $1,000 back early. So what they've done is you were making 5% with a bond that was worth more than everyone else's because you're making more. Well, all of a sudden Starbucks goes, hey, we don't want to keep paying you 5%. We're paying everyone else too. So here's your $1,000 back. We're going to call it even. Here's your $1,000. We don't owe you any money anymore. So we're going to stop paying you interest because we bought them back. So if you have a callable bond and that happens, they can buy you out. And so now your reinvestment risk is that you were making 5%. But now, because they bought you out early, you now have to reinvest that money at 2%. So that's reinvestment risk in a nutshell. So the last risk we're going to talk about today is liquidity risk. Now, what liquidity risk is, is when you sell these bonds, you're not really selling them to another person directly. You are going through your broker, and the broker has got to find somebody to sell the bond to. Well, there has to be a market for these bonds, which means there needs to be a bunch of people buying and selling these bonds all the time. So that on any given day, if you want to go and sell your bond, there needs to be people willing to buy it. Because if you want to sell and no one wants to buy, even at a discount, then you're sunk. There's nothing you can do about it. If there's no one who wants to buy it, then you can't sell it. Because for every transaction, there has to be a buyer and there has to be a seller. So what liquidity risk is, is that whatever bond you have, there is not enough buying or selling at the time you want to sell it for you to be able to get rid of it. And the market has to be there to the extent that there's enough people buying and selling that you can get a fair price. 
because if it's some bond for a company that no one's ever heard of and you're trying to sell it and there's maybe only a couple people that want it, all you're going to get are lowball offers. Now, you're not exactly looking at offers. Your broker is just going to automatically take the best one, depending on what instructions you give them. But in general, there has to be enough people buying and selling that when you want to sell, you can sell for a fair price. Because if there's not a lot of them, then you're going to only get lowball offers and you're going to end up losing money just because there's not enough people that want it. It's sort of a supply and demand. There needs to be enough people buying and selling for you to be able to sell. So with that kind of risk, it's mostly, it's better to have Starbucks versus some small rinky-dink company that no one's ever heard of. To get rid of that risk is basically to invest in bigger companies, more popular companies, and not so much all these rinky-dink operations. And that's basically all we're really going to talk about for liquidity risk. So we've talked about what bonds are and what a lot of the biggest risks are for bonds. So question becomes why should you have bonds or why should you buy them why should you have them in your portfolio do they help all that good stuff most people who are looking for bonds are looking for two things diversification and stable income all diversification is is that don't put all your eggs in one basket if you have all your money in one stock and something happens to that stock you're in trouble if you have all your money in 10 stocks you're a lot better off If you have all your money in 500 stocks, you're probably looking better. But because all your money is still in stocks, albeit a bunch of them, if something happens to the stock market or just all of them, then you're still sunk. All your eggs are still in one basket. Even though it's still 500 companies, it's still equity in companies. It's still stocks. It is a single asset class. So if something happens to stocks and you're in, say, 500 companies, you still have a lot of risk because it's all stocks. Bonds are different than stocks. They're not ownership. It's debt. And because it's debt and not ownership, it's something different. So instead of having all your eggs in one basket, all your eggs are now in two baskets. Now, that's not to say you should be 50-50 in stocks and bonds, but having that section of bonds, if something happens to the entirety of the stock market, then not all your money is in the stock market. Some of it is in the bond market. And the primary focus of bonds is for you to get your money back. The whole thing about debt is you loan it, and then you get it back. And in the meantime, you earn a return. Owning stocks, or equity in a company, owning equities, is primarily focused on people trying to earn a return, or a high return on investment. Bonds, on the other hand, are getting your money back. It's like, hey, I have this money, I do not want to lose it, but you know what, I would like to make a return on it, in the meantime. So with that in mind, a big quote that people have is that stocks are return on capital, so return on your money, while bonds are return of capital. So if you're in your 20s and 30s, you might want to be mostly in stocks because you want that money to grow, 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 and make you a return. If you're in, say, your 50s and 60s, well, you're not so much worried about growth. You've been growing it for decades. You want your money back. And not only do you want your money back, you know, you would like a little bit of a return. But the important part is you get your money back. Like, you don't want to have as much risk as you did in your 20s and your 30s because you're probably not working as much or you don't have the ability to work as much. So bonds are typically safer in that it's debt, so you're going to get paid back. If a company goes bankrupt, you're first in line. Those equity people have to wait. So 
you get a better position if a company goes bankrupt. And as long as a company doesn't get bankrupt or your bonds don't get called, you're still going to keep making your return. But you're making a higher return than what maybe a savings account would give you. So you get that extra diversification and you get your money back and it's just a stable income. So say you've been saving and investing all your life. You finally built up, built up, and now you're age 65 with a million dollars. Well, this isn't recommended. This is just an example. If you take that million dollars and you throw it in bonds and you have that Starbucks 5% bond, that million dollars is going to give you $50,000 a year in income. So just in those interest payments, you were going to get $50,000 a year. And then if you ever needed more than that, you could always sell off some of your bonds. Or maybe you could be a little bit more risky with bonds. Maybe you can have some of them in the 5% Starbucks bonds, and you can put money into a 7% bond for, let's say, a global defense company. The point is, bonds are more for earning an income, diversification, and making sure that you get your money back at the end of the day. So I'm going to leave y'all with two parting remarks about bonds. The first is that bonds, unlike stocks, are very attuned to the risk of the company because their prices and their interest rates are not so much determined by supply and demand. It's more risk-adjusted because the company is releasing them at a certain interest rate. Now, that interest rate doesn't change. It's set. There is no amount of buying and selling that changes the interest rate. The price may change a little bit, but the interest rate doesn't. So bonds are more in tune with the risk as far as the return that you get. And that goes into the types. Now, companies and governments can release bonds. Typically, a company is going to go bankrupt before a government does. Now, of course, there are some governments that are less safe than others. There are some companies that are more safe than others. But in general, a government is much less likely to go bankrupt. And because of that, government bonds are going to pay you a lot less than a corporate bond would. Now, the last thing I want to leave y'all with is that bonds are designed with safety in mind. It's return of capital, not return on capital. So bonds are never really going to give you more money than stocks do because you're a debt holder. You agreed when you bought the bond that, hey, I am going to get paid this 5% and that's it. Now, with a stock, you could have a dividend stock that pays a 3% dividend. But because you own equity in the company, if the company releases a new product or opens up to different services, then the company can make more money, which means your shares go up and they could potentially raise the dividend. Now, of course, that could go both ways. But being an equity holder comes with certain advantages and disadvantages. If the company does well, your shares go up. If the company doesn't, your shares go down. But if you're a bondholder and you only are loaning the company money, you get none of that. So if you buy some, let's say, Tesla bonds, and Tesla opens a new Gigafactory with it, they're able to produce a lot more cars, they're able to sell more cars, so their share price goes through the roof, you get no advantage from that. You gave them the money with the promise that you were going to get a certain interest rate. Nothing more, nothing less. As long as the company doesn't go bankrupt, you are only going to make that interest rate. So depending on the company or government you're investing that with, that could be either a blessing or a curse. Bonds are not meant to really grow your wealth. They're meant for you to loan money and you earn a return while it's out. Now, can you make money and will you probably make money with it? 
Yes. But in very, very rare situations, will you make more money from bonds than you do with stocks? So because of that, you need to keep that in mind and very much consider your balance of, in your portfolio, how much are you keeping in stocks? How much are you keeping in bonds? Now, thankfully, as an individual investor, you typically can't go out and purchase individual bonds. So you can't go to your broker and say, hey, I want $3,000 worth of Starbucks bonds. Typically, you invest in bonds through mutual funds or ETFs or exchange-traded funds, which I'll explain that later. But in general, that's how you do it. You don't really go out and pick individual bonds. So you don't have to worry about really specific companies if you don't want to. All that is typically taken care of for you through the mutual fund or the ETF. But the principle remains that mostly you really just need to choose, do I want to invest in corporate bonds? And what kind of quality of corporate bonds do I want? Or do I want to invest in government bonds? And what kind of government bonds do I want? And then from there, you just find the mutual fund or ETF that handles that for you. And so with that, guys, I'm going to go ahead and close us out here. This has been a really fun episode for me to do. Bonds have a lot of interesting things to them. I think I'm going to do a bonus episode because there is a, I think, really interesting story as to why the interest payments you get from bonds are called coupon payments. I had originally tried to record that in this episode, but it ended up making this episode a little bit too long. So I'm going to release that as a bonus episode. I think it's really interesting, so much so that I'm going to put forward the extra effort to make a new episode for it. But thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate all the support, and I'll see you guys next time for our bonus episode. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share it with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.